this is Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. We love everybody and love is going to win. Love is going to win. Hope she's right. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling there's something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast that's heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, and in Cottage Grove on KSO. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV. Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, in Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ, Seattle, Washington, KODX, Red Bluff and Redding, California's KFOI, Round Mountain, California's KKRN, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for your listening enjoyment on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk. Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you all very much for joining me and the delightful Desi Doyen today, whose microphone has been fixed since yesterday, <laughs> I think. Oh, there there you go. There's her laugh. Yes, yes, I there's exist. Her, I, I almost said, here. there's your cackle. But <laughs> I, there's your laugh. So we know you are here. Um, uh, never mind, by the way, uh, <clears throat> those of you who complain about both Democrats and Republicans which I think is being incredibly short-sighted personally, given what's going on in our country right now. But those who complain that both Democrats and Republicans are just as bad. Well, still, if you're one of those folks suggesting that uh, that because of that, you don't plan to vote because both sides are just as bad in uh, next Tuesday's crucial midterm elections. Again, I think that's exceedingly stupid at this moment in history. But if that's the case, after I've just berated you and called you stupid for feeling that way, allow me to remind you that there are initiatives on the ballot that go above and beyond Democrats and Republicans. New uh, statutes and constitutional amendments all over the country, and many of them are important environmental matters that will affect you and your family, Republican or Democrat or other. It'll affect everybody alike for many years to come, these initiatives. So perhaps that is reason enough to get you out and to the polls this year. I don't know. But uh, Desi Doyen, you'll join us a little bit later for the latest Green News Report with a roundup of some of the key environmental issues on the ballot this year in several states. Yeah, and just some of them. So if we don't talk about you in this Green News Report, please go look up at your own state and find out what they're planning for you. You mean you couldn't cover the entire country in six minutes? That's true. Fail. (laughs) 
Uh, all right. Um, well, let's uh, speaking of failing in October of 2016, just a few weeks before that year's presidential election, as I believe we reported on the broadcast at the time, three members of a right wing militia group were arrested by federal authorities for planning to detonate explosives at an apartment complex in Garden City, Kansas with Somali Muslims, specifically the targets in this uh, in this planned bombing. The attack uh, was to have taken place the day after Election Day in 2016, as the three white men were uh, recorded by law enforcement calling the immigrants cockroaches and, frankly, much worse than I can repeat here on FCC radio. These were uh, recordings that were made uh, apparently by the feds, which caught these guys red handed before this plot could uh, could come to fruition. An FBI affidavit read at the time of uh, at the time of the arrest and the charging in late 2016, quote, these are militia groups whose members support and espouse sovereign citizen, anti-government, anti-Muslim and anti-immigrant extremist beliefs. Again, that was before the election and thankfully before these jerks were able to carry out their deadly plot. The investigation uncovered stockpiles of firearms and explosive materials, as well as a manifesto, uh, with one of them claiming that, quote, the bombing would wake people up. The only good Muslim is a dead Muslim, one of the men is heard saying in the uh, in those uh, recordings. If you're a Muslim, I'm going to enjoy shooting you in the head, he said. The suspects plan to attack this housing complex where approximately 120 people live and where one of the apartments was used as a mosque, according to officials at the time. Well, those men have since been convicted in that uh, planned bombing. And on Monday, attorneys representing one of the Kansas men convicted of that 2016 plot to massacre Somali Muslim refugees. Uh, one of those uh, men, his attorneys, has asked a federal judge to consider a more lenient sentence for him, arguing that President Trump's inflammatory rhetoric should be taken into account as the, quote, backdrop for this case. Patrick Eugene Stein face, is facing life in prison for conspiring with the two other men to carry out that attack. On Monday, his attorneys filed a memo in U.S. District Court in the District of Kansas, requesting that Stein receive a sentence of no more than 15 years instead of life. They note that Stein was a, quote, early and avid supporter of Donald Trump. And they argue that the climate in the months leading up to the 2016 election should be taken into account when evaluating the comments from the men at the time that prosecutors had used to build their case against them. During the trial in the spring, prosecutors played back recordings in which Stein described Muslim immigrants as, as I said, cockroaches that needed to be exterminated. And he talked about killing Muslims with weapons dipped in pig's blood. Does that sound familiar? Two months before their conversation took place, Donald Trump had referenced a dubious uh, tale about General John Pershing killing Muslims with bullets dipped in pig's blood. He repeated that several times, I believe, on the campaign trail. 
the uh, James Pratt and Michael Schultz, uh, who are Stein's defense attorneys here, wrote in their sentencing memo, memo that the court cannot ignore the circumstances of one of the most rhetorically mold-breaking, violent, awful, hateful, and contentious presidential elections in modern history. Someone, they wrote, normally at a three on a scale of political talk might have found themselves at a seven during the election, they argue. A person like Patrick, who would often be at a seven during a normal day, might go to 11. In that sentencing memo, Stein's attorneys wrote that their client feared Muslims, quote, because of what he learned about them on the Internet and the videos he watched on YouTube from conservative talk show hosts like Fox News's Sean Hannity. Stein is described in the documents as the prototypical, quote, lost and ignored white working class voter who helped elect Donald Trump in 2016. Trump, of course, has faced accusations that his rhetoric is uh, responsible for the recent spate of political violence from the mass shooting at a Pittsburgh synagogue over the weekend to the mail bombs last week received by some of the president's most prominent critics. He and the White House and his allies in the GOP and on Fox News have pushed back on those claims, implying that Trump bears no responsibility whatsoever and that it is just political bias in the so-called fake news media. You know, the real enemy of the people who Donald Trump continues to describe them. They are actually uh, behind uh, the, the anger and the resentment and the violence and the death that we are now seeing in this country. Uh, but that is clearly not the case uh, when it comes to these men who planned uh, to massacre scores of Muslims. They admit that they were influenced by Donald Trump and his rhetoric back in 2016. At least if you believe their own attorneys. And then there are the families of the 11 Jewish victims gunned down in cold blood during Shabbat services last Saturday in Pittsburgh. They hold the president accountable for his rhetoric as well. According to today's Washington Post, a mourning family doesn't want to meet him. Leaders of his own party decline to join him. The mayor has explicitly asked him not to come. Protesters have mobilized, and yet President Trump visited the grief-stricken city of Pittsburgh on Tuesday amid accusations that he and his administration continue to fuel the anti-Semitism that inspired Saturday's massacre inside a synagogue. The president and First Lady Melania uh, arrived in Pittsburgh on Tuesday afternoon, not long after the first funerals began for the 11 victims of the mass shooting at Tree of Life Synagogue. More than 1,300 people signed up for demonstrations at the same time, declaring Trump, quote, unwelcome in our city and in our country. In our country, more than 70,000 people signed an open letter published by a progressive Jewish organization in Pittsburgh saying that Trump is not welcome in the city until he denounces white nationalism and stops targeting minorities in his rhetoric and his policies. The letter reads, for the past three years, your words and your policies have emboldened a growing white nationalist movement. Congressional leaders from both parties Republican Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell of Kentucky, House Speaker Paul Ryan of Wisconsin, as well as Democratic Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer and House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi. 
They all declined invitations to join Trump on this visit, according to the Post. So uh, similarly have the relatives of at least one of the victims Trump offered to visit with the family of Daniel Stein, a 71-year-old who had just become a grandfather when he was gunned down at the Tree of Life synagogue during services on Saturday. Stein's nephew said that the family declined in part because of the comments that Trump made in the immediate aftermath of the shooting when he suggested the synagogue should have had an armed guard. He was blaming the community, the nephew said. Stein's funeral was uh, one of four scheduled for today. Hundreds of mourners lined up to see the coffins of Cecil and David Rosenthal, two brothers who were gunned down a tree of life as they celebrated Sabbath with Stein and the other victims. The city's Democratic mayor, Bill Peduto, had asked the White House to consider, quote, the will of the families before visiting, as well as the resources of a city straining under the deadliest attack on Jews in U.S. history. But the president of the United States apparently did not care. Even as we uh, go to air here, apparently he is he is visiting the synagogue. The mayor of Pittsburgh Bill Peduto said all attention should be on the victims. We do not have enough public safety officials to provide enough protection at the funerals and at the same time to a presidential visit. But after Trump confirmed his visit anyway, the mayor's office said the Peduto would not appear with the president. Neither would Allegheny County Executive Rich Fitzgerald, who lives near the synagogue, his office said. Tree of Life Rabbi Jeffrey Myers, who called out hate in U.S. political speech after the shooting, said that he does plan to welcome the president to the synagogue today. About an hour before Trump arrived, hundreds of people had jammed onto a street corner, corner in, uh, in Squirrel Hill, the diverse but predominantly Jewish neighborhood where the synagogue is located and many of the victims lived. It was literally Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. The beloved late children's television host lived just three blocks from the Tree of Life in Squirrel Hill in Pittsburgh. Arden Shore said this didn't happen in a vacuum. He was one of the protesters. There is a growing trend of white nationalism, and that has been enabled by Trump, who traffics in the kind of conspiracy theories that we know were foremost in the mind of the shooter last Saturday. And, of course, we know that because the shooter said as much before and during the massacre. Shore added about Trump's visit, he's not tolerated here and we didn't consent to him coming. Ben Case, another protester, 34 years old, said he's he's done nothing but stoke the type, the type of fear and hatred that led to this. And here he's coming for a photo op to check it off his list. Kara Bernstein said, I personally hold Trump and his rhetoric accountable for the tragedy that occurred here. Uh, she believes that his visit is, quote, a distraction from the grieving. In fact, as CNN reports today, the reason that Trump was visiting Pittsburgh at all today when seemingly nobody actually wanted him there was because it happened to fit into his schedule of campaign rallies in advance of next week's midterm elections. 
The White House is scrambling to make final plans for President Trump's visit to Pittsburgh in the wake of a growing outcry from local officials who don't want the president to come, CNN's Jeff Zeleny reported on Tuesday morning. So why is he going today? It was the best day on his schedule given that a string of campaign rallies begin tomorrow that essentially lock his schedule down for the next six days. A White House official said there was a a discussion about scheduling the visit on Wednesday or Thursday, but the optics of visiting Pittsburgh on the same day as a campaign rally weren't viewed as ideal. Those optics were the ones that weren't ideal? Right. Rather than the showing up where you're not wanted? Yep. After stoking division? Yeah. Trump is scheduled to be in Florida on Wednesday and Missouri on Thursday and two rallies uh, a day on Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And finally, on Monday, he has three rallies. So he cannot be bothered. He's got rallies to get to to joke with uh, his uh, fawning supporters. He's got to have fun on the campaign trail. He can't be worrying about these. These poor people, these uh, people in uh, Pittsburgh who have seen the the worst slaughter in a in a synagogue in the history of this country in their neighborhood in Mr. Rogers neighborhood we'd hate to inconvenience the president and his political schedule at the behest of these grieving families in a pain-wracked city Tree of Life has been closed since Saturday's rampage, which was allegedly carried out by a man who had ranted online that Jews were bringing, quote, invaders that kill our people. He was referring to Hyas, the Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society, a Jewish group which has uh, been aiding refugees coming to this country and elsewhere since 1881. And uh, yet Trump has repeatedly referred to migrants as dangerous invaders, and he did so again in a tweet on Monday this week. The president, after the shooting, he's also repeatedly denigrated, quote, globalists, despite warnings from Jewish groups that the word is code uh, is code for Jews in anti-Semitic circles. And yet he uses it anyway, as do others in his party, others who are running for election this year. In fact, that word globalist appeared in one of the shooting suspects online rants. All of this, as well as the mail bombs sent to more than a dozen well-known Democrats and media outlets last week by a Donald Trump fan who also cited the need to prevent immigrant refugees from coming here from this so-called caravan headed north from Central America. All of that is after that group of potential uh, potential refugees has been cited by Donald Trump and by Republicans and by Fox News. And yes, even by the non wingnut mainstream corporate media every day for the last several weeks, as if the nation was about to be overrun by invaders. I've been loath to cover that story at all for exactly for exactly that reason. It, even talking about it uh, is is meant the only reason we're talking about it is to scare voters because it's largely a non-event that happens pretty much every year and it amounts to pretty much nothing. But it's a great way for Donald Trump and his party to try and scare people into showing up to vote for Republicans next Tuesday. You know, because Democrats, they want more of this. They want more caravans. In fact, they're paying for the caravans. They want open borders, Donald Trump tells us over and over again. Donald Trump lies to us, I should say, over and over again. 
So, I, you know, I, I don't even I haven't even wanted to talk about not covering it because, in fact, that is covering it. Uh, which the entire media, nonetheless, not just the right wing media, but the entire corporate media, they continue to cover it anyway, such as when they announced yesterday that Donald Trump was deploying some 5000 more members of the U.S. military to the border today to propel to propel this invasion with, yes, lethal force, if necessary, despite this group of. Frankly, a bunch of uh, largely women and children walking towards the north and still some 1,000 miles away from the U.S. border. I don't even want to discuss that nonsense since it's only meant to, to do exactly what it has done so far and rile up people on the right. So for now, I'll defer now uh, only to this short clip from last night from, of all places, yes, Fox News. Shepard Smith at Fox News, who actually covered the announcement of the deployment of these U.S. military troops by the president of the United States in response to the so-called threat from this caravan. Shep Smith actually covered it as it should be covered if it must be covered at all. The migrants, according to Fox News reporting, are more than two months away, if any of them actually come here. But tomorrow is one week before the midterm election, which is what all of this is about. There is no invasion. No one's coming to get you. There's nothing at all to worry about. When they did this to us, got us all riled up in April, remember? The result was 14 arrests. We're America. We can handle it. But, like I said, a week to the election, and Jennifer Griffin's on it from the Pentagon. Uh, yeah. That's how it should be covered. Yeah. If it's covered at all. Of course, then he had a toss to the Pentagon, Jennifer Griffin, and I'm sure they, you know, she went back to what the president is doing to keep us all safe at the border by sending thousands of troops to meet these people. And yes, that's right. I'm glad he mentioned that the same damn thing happened in April and 14 people were arrested. That was it. So, uh, you know, this is all all of it. So grim, so stupid. Uh, and yet it has racked the country and its media, and at least I hope, though I'm not counting on it, that it has revealed in the bargain just how broken and how morally bankrupt this political party, this Republican Party, has now become. I tried to warn about that years ago, that the GOP was going off the rails. I was on the radio, I was at bradblog.com trying to say that, trying to say, no, I'm not a partisan saying that. I'm, I'm saying this as a warning. I'm saying this as an American. That the right-wing, the Republican Party and its right-wing media were not conservative. They were dangerous. They were radical. And, and, and the media was actually providing dangerous propaganda to mess with people's heads. But, you know, I was called a partisan at the time, liberal, a Democrat, for pointing all of this out back when the Republican Party could have but chose not to take measures to avoid what we are now seeing. They wanted this. So I don't normally do this, but I, I just I want to turn this over today to uh, Steve Schmidt and his segment on MSNBC's uh, All In with Chris Hayes last night. I'm going to play the full segment. I don't normally do that. But you know what? 
In this case, uh, Steve Schmidt, uh, he speaks for me. Uh, until only uh, very recently, uh, he had been a long time, a lifelong top GOP strategist. He was John McCain's campaign manager during McCain's presidential run back in 2008. And to that end, by the way, I think even Schmidt gives uh, John McCain much more of a pass than McCain himself actually deserves in all of this. But never mind that. Uh, Schmidt recently declared he can no longer be a Republican. He has tossed off the party and uh, he is just about one of the most uh, literate, articulate folks in the nation when it comes to discussing the anti-American disease, frankly, that has infested his former Republican Party. So I want to play this whole clip right now. Steve Schmidt uh, last night on MSNBC's All In with Chris Hayes. How do we get here? Well, however we got here, we're here, and where we are is at an unprecedented place in American history. We have never had a president of the United States do what this president is doing. He is stoking a cold civil war in this country, and it has turned hot on the periphery. This man, Bowers, what, what he said was when he went in, he said, I can't sit by and watch my people get slaughtered. Screw the optics, I'm going in. And he went in to kill Jews. The Jews he believed that were financing the caravan, the invading army, like a panzer division that is threatening the southern border, an army that is racked and riddled with disease. The same type of rhetoric, the same type of propaganda that you would have seen in Germany in 1938, the dehumanization, turning people into infested vermin. What Trump is doing is stoking and inciting for the purposes of political power, the worst amongst us to take action in his name. We have a situation where but by for the grace of God, the largest mass assassination attempt in American history was avoided that targeted amongst them two former presidents of the United States. Every one of those people was a target of Donald Trump's. And this man, a fanatic, was radicalized by Fox News, by talk radio, by a right-wing propaganda machine that is as sophisticated as it has turned deadly. How do you, we, we end up in these situations sometimes of, you know, this false equivalency, this sort of, it's hard to get your, your arms around the asymmetry in American political life at this moment. And I imagine you have lots of people, you spend a career in Republican politics, right? How do you communicate about the, the, the abnormality of what has formed on the right at this particular moment because people will say well you know the left they've got this and that and it's true you know you can criticize we criticize sheldon adelson you, you can there's all sorts of ways to criticize george soros there's all sorts of ways to make your contentions in american politics it's rough and tumble there's something distinct going on in the american right how do you communicate that to people that exist on the american right william f buckley's great contribution to america and to american conservatism was to kick the crazies out of the conservative movement. Probably a longer discussion than we have time for tonight, but unfortunately, looking back, that the word liberal became an epithet because liberalism, small l liberalism, yeah. right? Conservatism is a root branch of it. 
and the Democratic parties and the Republican parties, both liberal parties, compete in the arena of ideas of to, an move open the country, to move the country forward. What we are seeing is the co-option of the conservative project, the Republican Party, in a cult of personality which is fundamentally unconservative, led by Donald Trump, that is authoritarian in nature, that is antithetical to the orthodoxies of the Republican Party and the conservative movement if they, as they have existed over the last 40 years, but it is something more. It is the incitement. Imagine, after a bomb was sent to CNN, the President of the United States goes and says, the press, the free press, is the enemies of the people. And then he says, the anger in the country is caused by the press who reports critically of him. What he is saying to the next sick, sick person on the, on the end of the transmission is, if you take an action, it's because they deserve it. What we are seeing, just as we saw young, displaced, evil, or sick, or just plain losers be radicalized by ISIS, we are seeing the same thing in the United States right now. These two losers, these two sick people, these two evil people, three evil people, being radicalized by this right-wing propaganda industry. And that's exactly what it is. This whole caravan in the last week of the election is a giant lie. This is Trump's Reichstag fire. Yeah. It is a lie. And that the United States military, the most powerful armed force in the world, would be deployed at a brigade size unit level to the southern border to stop this caravan, which is a thousand miles away and made up of women and children. The insinuations that it's filled with terrorists and Middle Easterners. 40% of the country has opted into an alternate reality. We have to wake up in this country and understand the danger that this presents to all of us. We can't put our heads in the sand. Kellyanne Conway despicably today goes on national television and she said, well, this shooter's motives were because there's an anti-religious sentiment. No, ma'am. The propaganda industry that she commands with the vile president that she serves, abetted by Mark Levin and Rush Limbaugh and Breitbart and Newsbusters and Judicial Watch and all the rest of them, have blood on their hands for the incitements that they have made that have triggered and radicalized these crazy people. It is deliberate in intent. He scapegoats minority populations. He alleges conspiracies. He creates a sense of shared and virtuous victimhood, positions himself as the avenger, and there is no cost too high yeah. so long as it benefits his narcissism, so long as it benefits him politically. Let me ask you this final question. There's a memory holding that keeps happening. Everything you just said there has been echoed in the past at different moments by Mitt Romney, by Lindsey Graham, by Marco Rubio, by Rick Perry. I mean, on and on and on. Ben Shapiro wrote about this. There was times when the, when the confrontation with Trumpism was new to conservatives where they called it what it was. They saw it for what it was. And then slowly but surely, the Borg assimilates them. 
And what I find so unnerving is that you've watched one after another after another, no longer able to muster the obvious clarity of that diagnosis. All of these people were happy to stand and assert that they believed in the American idea and ideal when the American idea and ideal was not being tested, when it was not under assault, when it was not being contested. What we see is a crisis of profound cowardice in what I would argue is the worst generation of political leadership the country may have ever had. We don't see very many Teddy Roosevelt Juniors using his privilege yeah. to fight to be the first man off the first landing craft on D-Day, to lead the men ashore. We don't see very much of that in American life anymore. The capitulation to this, the cowardice in the face of the evil that we saw this past weekend, the willful blindness and ignorance about the threat that is growing. And the question this week isn't who's going to keep control of Congress or get control of Congress. It's will there be more blood yeah. in this country this week heading to an election? And this is what we used to see around the world in banana republics, in emerging democracies, but not here. We don't settle our political disputes and elections with guns and knives. We don't have presidents in this country until now who stoke the American people to be at each other's throats. And after two years of this, this is the deadly consequence. Any Semitic attacks in America rose 60% last year. As was pointed out by a writer in the Atlantic magazine whose name I can't recall in the moment, do we have 60% more anti-Semites? Right. Or what has happened? Causally, what has happened? And so when Trump says I'm a nationalist, white supremacists, neo-Nazis, Klansmen celebrate. They are ecstatic. There are people who say that you shouldn't mention the Daily Stormer on a show like this. But you know what? Not mentioning them on a show like this doesn't mean they're not there. It's true. They are there and they are emboldened and they are excited and they feel that they have been mainstreamed by this president and his winks and nods and dog whistles and outright near endorsements. And what a signal he sends on a day where we see the largest mass killing of Jews in American history incited by this propaganda machine where his reasons in his final tweets are the exact talking points that spew forth in this vile toxic sewage from talk radio, from the dark corners of the internet, from Fox News, from Sinclair Broadcasting. It's exactly the same yep. message. And anybody who sits there and says that there is not causality between these events and the incitements is as dishonest as they are blind. That was Steve Schmidt, longtime Republican strategist, but Republican no more, speaking uh, with Chris Hayes on MSNBC's All In. I don't have much to add to that. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back with uh, more broadcast and, uh, well, maybe some less grim news out of Texas. Only slightly less grim, I suppose, uh, concerning the election coming up next Tuesday. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your broadcast. <laughs> 
What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter, and we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. The stars at night are big and bright, deep in the heart of Texas. <laughs> Desi Doyen, of course, is constitutionally required to clap during that song, being from Texas. Yes, yes, I am. It's genetic. Uh, welcome back to the broadcast, Brad Friedman. From bradblog.com. Okay, let's go to your old home state of Texas here, Desi Doyen, to try to uh, lighten things up a little bit today. Okie dokie. That's not going to be easy uh, amidst this uh, very close election, uh, reportedly, between Democratic candidate Beto O'Rourke, who's trying to unseat Senator Ted Cruz, Republican, uh, in, uh, in, the, in the race for the U.S. Senate down there. And as we reported a few days ago, voters are reporting that some voting machines, they use the Hart InterCivic e-slate, have been flipping votes from D- Ted Cruz, I'm sorry, from Beto O'Rourke to Ted Cruz when some voters try to uh, select the straight-ticket Democratic option. They select straight ticket Democratic on these 100 percent unverifiable heart Eastlade systems. And then they get to the confirmation screen and they notice that somehow Ted Cruz has been selected as uh, as as their choice for Senate rather than the Democrat Beto O'Rourke. Now, um, I spoke at some length with uh, Beto O'Rourke's attorneys yesterday who are looking at this. The, the good news here for now, they are aware of it. They are concerned about it. They're trying to figure out what is actually going on here and how large of a problem this actually is. They uh, tell me that the uh, so far the reports are a few dozen voters that this has happened to during early voting. Of course, a concern is how many people have not noticed that it is happening to them. Uh, there's no evidence right now that this is uh, being done on purpose, that it's nefarious, that there is vote flipping going on here by someone in some of these counties. And it's happening in some of the largest counties in the state, 82 counties across the state use these heart Eastlate voting machines. Um, but they're also having trouble repeating it on purpose. So some good and bad news there in that, oh, it's only maybe happened to or been reported by a few dozen people, but who knows how many people it actually has has happened to who have not noticed it. And the idea that it happens on some machines but not others, you would hope that's good. Maybe it's just a few machines. On the other hand, Maybe it's a few machines that have been uh, are either somehow malfunctioning or, in fact, programmed to happen this way. We don't have evidence of much of anything because we don't have much of evidence of anything on this type of voting machine at all. These systems have been used for, uh, I think, going back since 2001, for example, in Austin, which you would think would give time enough for the local anchors Uh, in Austin at the NBC affiliate KXAN to know about these systems so they could properly report on uh, these reported problems with the Hart E-Slate 
voting machines that have been used for now almost 20 years in Austin. And yet, here was the uh, anchor the other night um, on KXAN, NBC's affiliate in Austin, uh, talking about this problem. The AG's office received complaints from people who voted using heart S-Slate machines. The companies, the complaints rather, come from people who voted straight ticket. Wait, the, the heart... The, the S-Slate. The, the heart what? The complaints, rather, come from people who voted straight ticket. They say the machine changed some of the sections. The slate uses a selection <laughs> wheel and five buttons. <laughs> it's, no, it's it's not an slate. I'm surprised she didn't say, well, it could be an slate. <laughs> oh, it's French. It's a French voting machine, maybe. The heart S- It's the heart e-slate. They've been using it in Austin since like 2001. This woman is the anchor of the nightly news on the NBC affiliate in Austin. They've been using it there for like 20 years. Uh, you'd think she'd know what it actually, what, you know, she'd be able to talk about it. Then she spoke about the response from the longtime Travis County clerk, uh, Dana Debouvoir, saying that she had not yet seen or heard of the problem so far this year in in Texas. They also say that's important for voters to verify their selections before casting their ballot. Travis County Clerk uh, Dana, I, I'm not sure. Debouvoir, thank you, Robert, tells KXAN that she has seen zero confirmed cases of this problem. Okay, now... Uh, good news, I guess, that she has seen zero confirmed cases of this down in uh, in Travis County, which is Austin, the state's capital. Uh, but, you know, she's got to talk to her colleague there to find out what the name of the election commissioner is, uh, which is Dana de Beauvoir in the town about which she is reporting. Now, uh, by the way, as we reported a couple of days ago, uh, though she hasn't seen it in Travis County, this uh, uh, county clerk down there, uh, the county clerk from Fort Bend has, in fact, been able to replicate it in his office uh, at least some time ago. Um, and the state has known about this as a problem, as a concern for years, but has not asked Hart to fix its e-scan systems. I'm sorry, it's e-slate systems. It's <laughs> infective, isn't it? Yeah, well, they do have an e-scan as well. But, uh, but you know, the, the local anchor, I guess she can't be expected to know that. She can't be in, expected to inform her her viewers to actually know who the county clerk is. Now, I'm looking at you, Des. You're feeling a little sorry, I suspect, yes, for this, yes, uh, for I me am. beating up on the local anchor. But you know what? Don't feel sorry for her because she has an entire staff. She makes a lot of money. <laughs> she works at the NBC affiliate. You know, meanwhile, the broadcast is largely you and I and a hamster running around in a wheel to power this whole goddamn thing. And we know the name of the Austin uh, registrar county clerk. And the name of the voting machines that are failing the voters of Texas down there. Anyway, <laughs> you know, I'm hoping that uh, the O'Rourke campaign takes some kind of action in, uh, to assure that there will be paper ballots available to voters across Texas where these failing machines are used. Because I'm foreseeing a potential nightmare on Tuesday. But there's not a lot of recourse under Texas law and under uh, previous Texas cases. So um, I can what I can report right now is that they are looking at their options. I would recommend that they quarantine any machine that is reported to have a problem in Texas, take it out of service. But you know what? That means fewer machines. And if they don't have paper ballots for people to vote on, then the lines will get longer. 
and voters will end up uh, being turned away and being screwed. And, of course, it's not only in Texas that's happening. That's also happening in Georgia. And it will happen where votes are flipping from one candidate to another. And it will happen in all of the other states that use those machines that we have warned about, uh, warned against for so many years. Some other uh, issues coming out of Texas, which actually, uh, again, may be good news, I think, sort of, kind of, and we'll take whatever good news we can find this year. Um, <laughs> uh, this was on, actually, I meant to get to this story, to the first part of this story on Friday, but we didn't have time. And uh, I'm glad I didn't at the time because it actually has a happy ending at this point now. So on Friday, as KXAN reported, while most polling places are open for two full weeks for early voting, the Texas State University polling location closed after just three days, despite having hundreds of students vote and wait in line each day. Students are asking to reopen that location. This was last Friday. But the North Hayes GOP president was urging the county to keep the doors shut. So on Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday of last week, there were long lines of uh, Texas State students, they say, wrapped around corners, stretching down hallways, trying to uh, have a chance to cast their vote. Hundreds waited for hours. Others simply gave up. Texas State University student Justin Wright said, I saw it and he saw the lines and I realized what was going on and said, I have so much work to do. So he missed his chance to vote on campus. On Thursday of last week, Texas State was no longer a polling location and students were furious. They began contacting county leaders, demanding more days to vote on campus Democratic uh, Commissioner Debbie Ingelsob uh, reached out for um, for thoughts from the president of the North Hayes Republican group. And uh, Wally Kenny, uh, the head of the Republican group, spoke up and said, well, if Debbie is bringing it forward, it probably means that it's going to favor Democrats. So maybe I should not be in favor of this. Hmm. Terrible. He sent out an email, uh, Kenny did, to various groups asking them to contact commissioners, urge them not to extend voting times or days for students, saying that uh, students can vote at any other polling site in the county for the next uh, week and a half. Apparently there are other early voting sites, just not on campus. And uh, he said, oh, it's not about political party. It's about principle. To change it in the middle of the election seems wrong to me, no matter who it favors one way or another. We have a process and we need to stick with the rules. It seems to it seems to me like. Why? Why can't they change the rules? There's voters who are unable to vote. Why do you have to? Uh, <laughs> so there was a fight about this to try to extend the voting time. The Republicans were against it. Uh, the students were saying that they would have had to take several buses to try to get to a uh, an alternate uh, uh, early voting site. Well, the good news is, after being threatened with a lawsuit over early voting at uh, Texas State University, the Hayes County commissioners voted to expand the voting hours on campus after all. They held an emergency meeting and the Republican-dominated commission voted to open the early voting site that operated on campus during the first three days of early voting. So the LBJ Student Center will reopen on November 1 and November 2 from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. 
in order to allow uh, in order to allow additional early voting at the university. More than 1000 people had reached out to the commission over this issue. But of course, it took uh, lawyers from the Texas Civil Rights Project uh, and others to threaten the county with a lawsuit after it was found that uh, the early voting uh, at the campus location was actually uh, closing it, limiting it, was actually a violation of both the U.S. Constitution and Texas statutes. They laid out their case and the Republicans on the uh, county commission thought better of it and have now opened it up. This is the second time over the past week that Texas college students have successfully pushed to increase access to early voting. Uh, last time, last week on Thursday, Waller County announced it would expand early voting in Prairie View, which is the home of Prairie View A&M University, an historically African-American school that has been home to many important fights for student voting rights in this country over the past several decades. Uh, the decision there came uh, two days after students had once again sued the county over allegations that the county was suppressing the voting rights of black residents by changing residency requirements after many students had already registered to vote there. So it's going to we've had a lot of lawsuits this year. I suspect we're going to see a lot more before all of this is said and done on Tuesday. It's not going to be said and done on Tuesday, but that will be the last day for voting, in theory. People standing up and fighting like hell for their rights, even in Texas, and yes, winning, at least in some cases. We'll take it. Quick break, and we're back with the Green News Report and Desi Doyen. More on elections in that report. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate and thanks. Well, how many times have we had to say over the last couple of years, Desi Doyen, that elections have consequences? Um, too many to count, but yes, they do. In this town, in this town, in this country, uh, now in Brazil. But there are some, uh, as you'll talk about in a moment here, uh, but there are also some options for people in this country to take action next Tuesday, not just on candidates, but also for environmental issues that we will face for many, many years, as discussed in our latest Green News report. Brazil has elected a new president. Election of far-right Jair Bolsonaro has grave implications for the Amazon and climate change. Plus, big oil has raised $26 million to fight this initiative. Energy and the environment are on the November 6th ballot with landmark propositions in several states. All of those landmarks and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyle. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Who cares about global warming? Wake me up when it's America warming. (laughs) 
America's warming, Mr. President. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, remember when this time of year on the Green News Report, we would do uh, green tips for Halloween? (laughs) Yes, the good old days. Those were the days, weren't they? What do you have for us today? Well, first up, in Brazil, environmental groups, human rights groups, and civil justice organizations are sounding the alarm over the election of extreme right-wing politician Jair Bolsonaro to the Brazilian presidency on Sunday. As well they should. Bolsonaro promised to enact sweeping changes to the country's political, economic, economic, social, and environmental order, and his rule has drastic implications for the Amazon rainforest and its indigenous communities. He has suggested he would privatize and industrialize the rainforest Mm. to open it up to international agriculture, mining, and logging industries. Accelerating the destruction of the Amazon will have profound impacts on the fight to curb global warming. Bolsonaro has also suggested that, like President Trump, he intends to pull Brazil out of the United Nations. Paris Climate Agreement. Oh, great. Donald Trump finally found a friend, a far-right new leader of the largest country in the Southern Hemisphere. Here in the U.S., the environment is on the November 6th ballot with numerous statewide initiatives. In Alaska, Ballot Measure 1 seeks to protect the state's revered wild salmon fisheries, the most prolific in the world, from the powerful oil and mining industries. In Colorado, residents frustrated with current state law allowing fracking near homes hope to pass Proposition 112, which would require oil and gas drilling and its accompanying noise and air pollution to be at least 2,500 feet from homes and schools and hospitals. But Big Oil has pumped millions of dollars into the state to defeat the proposition, claiming that it will put too much of the state off-limits to drilling. There is no way that the people, and a lot of times it's citizen initiatives on the ballot here, that those people can possibly go up against Big Oil when, you know, ExxonMobil makes $1 million every two minutes. In Florida, offshore drilling is on the ballot. It's already banned in state waters and is wildly unpopular because it threatens Florida's prized beaches that support its billion-dollar tourism industry. After Republicans in the Florida State House voted to overturn the ban several years ago, opponents said they realized Amendment 9 is necessary to enshrine the ban in the state's constitution to make it harder for Republicans to reverse it. Good. We'll see if it passes. You have to get something like 60% in Florida for a constitutional amendment. In Nevada. Both sides of the argument agree renewables need to exist in Nevada, but they disagree on the pace and extent of our future renewable energy portfolio. Question six would double the state's minimum requirement for electric utilities to get their energy from renewable sources. The new renewable portfolio standard would require utilities to generate 50 percent of their electricity from renewables like solar by 2030. Nice. In California, Proposition six is backed by Republican lawmakers who hope to repeal a 2017 increase to the state's gasoline tax, which has generated billions of dollars in revenue to pay for much-needed infrastructure, bridge, and road repairs. Opponents charge that the initiative is really only intended to goose turnout among Republican voters. So they want to do away with this gas tax to fix roads and bridges because, you know, roads and bridges will fix themselves. Finally, voters in Washington state will get a chance to implement the nation's first statewide carbon tax on the biggest polluters. The costs will likely be passed down to consumers, but as Vox.com enter 
energy writer David Roberts explained on a recent broadcast, Initiative 1631 has a plan to shelter low-income electricity ratepayers. Remember, they're investing all the revenue in cleaning the state up, and 30% of all that investment has to be targeted at vulnerable and low-income communities. So it's entirely possible to construct a carbon tax that doesn't hurt low-income and middle-income people. It's entirely possible. Not only doesn't hurt low- and middle-income people, it helps them and helps everyone at the same time, everyone, I guess, except for the oil and gas companies. Yeah, the oil industry so far has poured more than $26 million into defeating this carbon tax proposal. For now, it's free to pollute, and the fossil fuel industry wants to keep it that way. Of course they do. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Don't forget to vote. This has been your Green News Report. Let's work together. Come on, come on, let's work together. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. Yep. And uh, pay attention, you voters down in Florida and everywhere else. Work together. We can make something happen. I sounded a little negative there uh, talking about the oil companies. I was trying to say we can't match their funding. We can match them, however, in turnout and democracy. At least if we all turn out and try like hell to vote and have our votes counted. Thanks, Des. Yep. Uh, our producer, Desi Doyen. Thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the TheBradBlog. And my thanks to those of you who help keep us going by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. We rely on you and only you to stay on your public airwaves. Bradblog.com slash donate. Please stop by today. Thanks. All right, that's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Together we'll stand. Divided we'll fall. Come on now, people. Let's get on the ball and work together. Because you